Hey folks, welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast, and today we are doing a special episode. I'm here with my friend and fellow co-coach at McCurdy Trained, Laura Galliezzo, to talk about the Boston Marathon. You may not know this, but today they put out basically what the qualifying standard is, the buffer, if you will, of the people who applied to the Boston Marathon but who at this point were accepted into the race and those people who unfortunately were not accepted into the race got the tier system, right? You have to qualify and then you have to apply. And at that point you have to figure out if like your apply was denied or your apply application was accepted. And today we found out the buffer is five minutes and 29 seconds. The second biggest buffer of all time. The biggest buffer was in 2021 where the field was capped at 20,000 runners because of COVID. But this is the basically the biggest buffer the, the biggest non-COVID buffer of all time. We had 11,000 people who applied that weren't able to be accepted into the field, 22,000 people who qualified and were accepted. And I can't wait to talk about this with Laura. Laura, we're not going to take a deep dive into the stats. We're going to talk with someone at Boston, hopefully next week about this. So that will be a fun episode, a little fun with numbers episode, and to kind of set the stage for like why they have all these numbers. But today is about something a little bit more holistic, maybe an evergreen episode about how runners can approach this sort of day, the Boston Marathon experience, and just the goal setting that, are, that comes along with qualifying for Boston. We're talking about the people who weren't, who tried to get a qualifying time but didn't. The people who today probably didn't, didn't feel that great. The people who got the qualifying time but were not accepted into the field. And then the people who qualified for Boston and were accepted and were hopefully will be able to run next April. So, Laura, yes, first of all, thank you so much for coming on to talk about this. Thank you for having me. So first thing we're going to do is do a little like, all right, what's what's up with the Boston Marathon and how come it gets like so much, I guess, popularity and so much buzz around this sort of thing It's kind of commonly known, at least in my world, as kind of like the amateur running Olympics, especially from a marathon perspective. And so many people goal set around this floor. You've been coaching athletes for a long time. You're a high level runner as well. Is that kind of how you view the Boston Marathon? Yeah, I definitely would. I think in our sport, it gives people something to shoot for because you've got the Olympic, you know, you've got your Olympics but that's so far out of reach. Whereas if you give somebody a goal like this, where it's a prestigious race, there's time standards. It gives somebody something to work for that maybe is within arm's reach versus the Olympics being, Hey, across the country type arm's reach. Um, so I think it gives people that same level of accomplishment without it being that same scale. That doesn't really make sense, but you know what I was going for. Absolutely. And I feel like there's less of a genetic component to this, right? Like qualifying yes. for the, even if you just if take, take the, taking the like participation in the Olympics out of it, just even qualifying for the Olympic trials and the marathon, mm -hmm. obviously you have to work your absolute tail off for a very long time. But in addition to that, there is the genetic component as well. Whereas the BQ, it takes no less work for a lot of people, but the genetic barrier to entry into that, into that race, into like, you know, race, I mean, in the in the more general sense, in terms of reaching for that goal, the, the genetic component certainly is much more, is much lessened compared to that OTQ race. Yeah, that, and I would also say, like, the genetic component and also the pr privilege doesn't feel the right word, but I think it is in a way of, you know, 
the people who are trying to qualify and run Boston are your everyday runners. Like the people you interview on the podcast all the time. We work full-time jobs. We have kids. We have other commitments. And a lot of the people who are trying to, and granted for the trials, a lot of those people also have those things. But then there's quite a few of them that, you know, they have sponsorships or it is their job and they still work very hard. They just don't have as many things to work around. So I think this is a, a good attainable goal for people. Um, so sometimes we take that too far. I say we, cause I remember how one track minded I got when I was first trying to qualify for Boston. So I can say that. Right. And then you get the age graded component as well. Right. Um, mm-hmm. that's, that's one of the nice things about Boston in terms of, you know, once you hit age 35, you have these five year age groups that they kind of, they age up. So usually it's a five or 10 minute increase from, you know, from 35 to 40 to 45 to 50. Um, some people just assume it's five minutes for each, each age gap. That is not true. Some of those, some of those uh, bumps are 10 minutes and that's also changed over time. Um, but right now it's either a five or a 10 minute jump, depending on the age you're in. So especially for masters runners, um, this really is like, like they they might've aged out of the Olympic trials, um, in terms of like their ability to get there, but this can be, uh, you know, the main goal for them. With that said, it's still incredibly hard. We call the amateur running Olympics for a reason for amateurs. It does feel like the Olympics. This is an incredibly hard thing. And it's been hard for a long time. In part, again, we should say, because this race is capped. So this race is capped at 30,000 runners. With every popular race, there are certain components that come into this in terms of like, how does a race want to allow runners in? So Boston, there's three ways. There's people who can qualify and apply that we're going to talk about today. There are people who will raise a very significant amount of money for charity to get in. And they're the elite runners who are given, um, given a spot in the field and are often paid to do that. Right. So they'll get like an appearance fee and they'll be coming. Um, so in this race, the, the race is capped at 30,000 and there's just a shade over 22,000 people who applied and were accepted to run the race. Meaning there's, you know, roughly eight, you know, a little North of 8,000 people who will be, joining the race in terms of the elite field plus the people who are um, raising money to get into the field. So overall, a lot of runners. Yeah. Also, I think it is worth noting for people that it's in addition to those charity runners, there's also a significant amount of bibs that I think they would, I think the EAA terms them as like invitational bibs, which are not yes. just your elites, but your sponsors. You have, I mean, we have a new sponsor this year with Bank of America, so that probably plays a role too. But your sponsors, every year you're going to have runners who represent brands and stuff, but that's what helps get those sponsors to want to do it. You give them some bibs that they can give people. And that that accounts for, I believe, like at least 2,000 of the spots. I think it's like 6,000 charity and then like 2,000 for local running clubs who help with volunteering and sponsor bibs and your elites and your pros, obviously, but you have to give some of those. Yeah, for sure. And we'll talk about that when we talk with someone from Boston about the the exact number of that. But last year we talked, I had a few runners come on the show who were gifted bibs through the Amazon, through Amazon. So Amazon sponsored Mm -hmm. and then Amazon was gifting bibs out to, diverse running groups all across the country 
and then and then they they gave them to some of their runners um, who were in a position to to make the most of that experience. Again, we say this to say this is how people can get into the race. And this year, a third of the people who qualified and applied were not accepted, and that can be a brutal experience. We'll talk about that in a second. But I just want to put this out there because this is incredibly hard, and there's a lot of people who will spend a long time a decade or more trying to qualify for Boston who won't. And there's people who did that this year. So let's talk about this group first. Okay. The people who have as their stretch goal qualifying for the Boston marathon, and this can be people of any age. Okay. This is the main, this is their main goal of training. They really want to do this, this past marathon, you know, Boston marathon window. They went out there, they raced and either they just missed or there was an injury or there was some crazy weather, but their goal was the Boston Marathon. So today wasn't a big day for them because they already knew they never applied because they didn't hit the qualifying time. But this was their main thing. And for a lot of people, that driver of qualifying for Boston it can really be a super motivating thing to get there and to you know peak, to, to really work through the training and to just basically get out the door every day, especially for those folks like yeah. you mentioned who are, you know, have a hectic life. But for them, this is the stretch goal. And oftentimes these people are running. Um, they're not in running groups. They're just, you know, hammering away mile after mile on the treadmills in the dark, doing their thing, often in silence. And, you know, this this is the big goal for them. Again, it could be early in their running career. It could be later in the running career. You coach a lot of the athletes who are trying to do this. For those folks who are who are yearning to get that Boston Marathon. How do you try to that Boston Marathon qualifying time and are very aware of it as they go through their marathon and training cycles? How do you try to approach the conversation of, you know, utilizing the motivation that comes with the stretch goal while not being so fixated on it that it becomes like this like thorn in their brain that they can't quite take out and you know becomes like this all-consuming thing where it goes from motivating to all of a sudden potentially demotivating if they don't see the the success they want or if it's not going according to their their perceived sense of a timeline that that should be associated with that goal yeah and i mean i have experience with it myself i didn't you know it took me a couple marathons to qualify and you know fell on my face a couple times in the process which was actually probably the best thing for me because it forced me to learn. Um, But I think one of the big conversations I have with athletes a lot is let's see where the training takes us. If, especially if they're in maybe a closer range where they're within striking distance, they're, you know, maybe two to 10 minutes off that goal. It's kind of like, let's see where the training takes us because very, I don't know about you, but like very often I'll get athletes who ask at the very beginning of a training cycle, well, what's my goal? And I'm like, well, I don't know. And that isn't to tell them that I'm not paying attention or that I don't know what I think they can run, but we could, a lot can happen in, you know, six months or three months or things like that. And so I think kind of trying to get people to focus on the process a little bit more of, hey, let's set some goals for this month for training. We're going to run X days a week or let's register for a couple races between now and the marathon to use as goals to check in along the way, which is a great way to see where you're at and set realistic goals for that marathon. But I think it also pulls some of the focus off of 
the goal marathon being the be all end all. Um, trying to encourage their control over the process of and learning and setting just setting other goals too instead of it just being well the only goal is Boston that's great but we have to set some other goals along the way to get there and I think by doing that is recognizing hey you have this goal but I also want to help you do these other things too so you're not diminishing how they feel about the one thing but just saying let's let's kind of um, not put all our eggs in one basket kind of a thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I have found too that being hyper-focused on the OT, on the, OT the BQ goal, when you're pretty close to it, can also be, and this is like, this is a little tragic in a way, at least from a running perspective, can actually limit growth because yes. they're so focused on that goal. So all of a sudden they become very type A about their times, they get like super intense, but like, all right, how am I progressing? In addition to that, like their growth trajectory might be way past that BQ goal, but they get so hyper-focused on it that they, they kind of like bend towards it instead of shooting past it in a way. Yeah. And all of a sudden, like everything is focused on that number. They're hyper-focused about like their, their training in terms of their splits and things like that. And they start acting in a way that ultimately doesn't serve them well and limits growth in terms of like, again, maybe taking the approach that they took prior to coming close to that BQ goal that allowed them to improve in terms of like, you know, approaching it with fun, but you know, serious when you're doing it, but also approaching it with like a sense of joy, wonder, and fun that comes along with it. Not taking yourself too seriously, not, you know, if a race doesn't go well, a workout doesn't go well, like fretting, what does this mean? Not having every yeah. week or every workout being a referendum on your growth or your potential or trying to like, you know, distill, what does this mean in the bigger scope of things? Like just chill. Everything's fine. Like, yeah, this is incredibly hard to do this goal, but by going super type a and trying to like, distill exactly what everything means in service to that goal ultimately does you more harm than good i agree fully yeah and i think also when you when you get that sense of like okay i want to reach this goal oftentimes there's a couple other things that can happen people can start to be very aware of other folks who are getting that goal and they can be okay at first, again, there, there's some elements of this because being positive, right? If you're cheering on friends and family or, or running group members who are, you know, setting themselves up for success or maybe getting that BQ and doing it with a full and, and full and open heart, that's wonderful. And that's a big positive and that can help you. But if you're approaching it and like there's like the part of the, th the thing that you're saying to them in terms of that supportive, but the part that you have inside, that's more, hey, like, I wish that was me. How come I'm not getting these results? And it's much more like, what about me kind of focused? Then that sort of thing can bring you down. And I think that the, the competition or the comparison game that can emanate from a, uh, a BQ search can be really tough. And again, can be also be very limiting. These are the sorts of things that can, can throw people off track. If like a little thing like pops up and they're all of a sudden they're not on, on their own self-perceived schedule of how things should be going, they get derailed. And all of a sudden, instead of being like a 2% little thing that we work around, we'll get back on track. All of a sudden 
like the train is in like like completely off the mountain and like you know they're not only are they physically you know in in kind of a, a rehab mode but mentally and emotionally they're in the same spot if not even worse yeah definitely and i think it's that's kind of why i said like trying to get people to focus on the process a little bit because my from my own experience the biggest breakthroughs that i had came from not when I was so hyper-focused on a time goal, but when I just focused on being better. I focused on the process of, I'm going to run more. I'm going to dial in my nutrition. I'm going to make sure that, hey, I'm not skipping, like, yes, there are reasons to miss a run, but I'm not skipping runs just because I don't feel like it kind of a thing. Um, just committing to the process and being consistent and I think some of my biggest jumps really came from when the time was less of the focus and instead the, the, the training cycle itself. Um, and that, like my first time that I officially qualified for Boston, I qualified with alert. It was a huge breakthrough for me. And a big piece of that was I kind of had let go of it and said, well, I just want to see how good I can be. And then it was so funny because I almost felt a little let down after because I was like, well, what's my goal now? I qualified for Boston. What's the new goal? Because that's runners. What's next? And I realized how much I had limited myself thinking, oh, well, that's the pipe dream of qualifying for Boston. And I was like, I just did that. Like, I can do more. And it's getting athletes to focus on the day-to-day things and what they're in control of and to take control of their life and not be, for lack of a word better, uh, victims of circumstances. Like, go out and make things happen. Um, Yes, we have strengths of bad luck that happens too, but I think putting the control and the belief in them in the process and having them buy into that is really where... It helps because like you said, otherwise it can just, you can trend the wrong direction when you too fixate on the time so much. And you can also lose sight of the fact that you might be running incredibly well. Again, qualifying for Boston is, is hard and it needs to be because you're competing against runners from all around the world yeah. who are trying to compete for like these 22,000 spots, right? At least that's what the number was this year. And it's going to be pretty similar in other years. So, like, you look at, like, again, I'm bringing up some stats from MarathonHandbook.com, but, like, the average marathon is roughly an hour slower than what you see at these Boston Marathon cutoffs. Qualifying times, I should say. So, the qualifying times. So, like, like three hours for a male, you know, 18 to 34 is the Boston Marathon qualifying time for that group. The average marathon for that group is 401. Right. So yeah. it's an hour slower. So if you're running a 325 marathon, you might be like, oh, my God, I'm nowhere near the peak time. You're still doing great, man. Like you're yeah. way over the average. Right. And I, can, and... and I can do this for every group. I'll just leave it there because right. there's no reason for me to keep repeating myself through 20 different age groups and two different genders and the non-binary group as well. But like, again, this is hard. So you could be doing incredibly well and be nowhere near the BQ time. That is totally normal. Those are not like these these like, opposed ideas <laughs> yeah and how many times and i've done i did it myself my first few marathons 
Um, but how many times did I do it or do I have athletes who, well, I PR'd, but I missed the yes. I'm like, knock yes. out that, that, I can, we can address those feelings at a separate time, but let's start with the fact that you just ran a seven minute PR or a two second PR or whatever it was. Celebrate. You got faster. You got better. You're making steps forward. It's you can feel things about missing that, but you still have to celebrate those wins. Otherwise, you're losing sight of what the goal actually is. Right. And speaking of goals, you know, in the end, we can have more than one goal. This is not Mm -hmm. a completely polarized topic, but think about are your goals intrinsic or extrinsic or are they internally you focused in your process and all the things that you mentioned before or is it extrinsic again be honest with yourself and it's okay if you have a couple extrinsic goals or you have extrinsic mm-hmm. motivations for your goals it might not have extrinsic goals but you know the motivations behind the goals is a better way of saying it right are your goals extrinsic i mean they're the motivations behind them extrinsic in terms of like the status of qualifying for boston be able to say that you did it yeah. Again, be honest with yourself. Is that a portion of it? Okay. And that's and okay di- if it is. Right. I'm not judging here. Th- these are all normal things that can pop up in your mind. Okay. So is it like, again, the idea of like, hey, the status behind it, right? Or, hey, I know people who've done this and I feel like I'm as good of runners as them and I want to be able to do it too, right? These are my training partners or my friends or, or whoever, right? Just the idea of like, hey, this is what the best of the best can do in, from an amateur running perspective. And I want to be one of the best of the best. So like, I, I want to be in that club. That's how I view myself. And I think I should be able to do that. Again, that has kind of an intrinsic piece to it, but it's more extrinsic because you're basing it on other people and other factors that are outside of your control more versus, versus the intrinsic side of like, okay, like I really want to get better. I want to see what I'm capable of. I want to see like, non non racing goals right can i run mm-hmm. can i run like 200 200 200 200 miles this month can i do that 12 months in a row can i hit 250 can i do that 12 months in a row right can i make sure that like i approach my workouts and i don't like you know i, I don't go in the tank if i don't hit a rep can i not look at my watch during a workout right that, that that doesn't completely necessitate me looking at a watch in terms of like the pacing of it and i'm just going to be focused more on the time like how long all right i'm doing eight by one minute on one minute off all right like just look at my watch from a timing but i don't care what the pace is right there's there's a lot of different ways of approaching goals and even more motivations behind those but i think you have to figure out what are my motivations here because the more extrinsic those motivations are we can talk about this is going to happen in this bucket and the next bucket that we get into then the more not getting the goal is going to feel like a failure because you're focusing on things that are outside of your control often. And it's just going to feel like it, the the brutal nature of not getting it is going to feel so much different as opposed to like, hey, the intrinsic side of things like, hey, my goal was if I can run 200 miles a week for 12 months, I think I can put myself in a position to qualify for Boston. And that could absolutely be true. And maybe it happens, maybe it doesn't, but say it doesn't happen. You're like, Hey, well, I still did X, Y, Z. This was great. So am I, am I bummed that I didn't qualify for Boston? Yes. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I'm not going to completely derail myself, my training, my relationship with running even because it didn't happen. Cause I can also zoom out and say, look at all these other things that did happen that I am proud of. And these were also goals. 
Ready for a spring break to remember? Amtrak's got just the ticket for you and your crew. With share fares, you and your friends can save up to 60%. The more who travel, the more you save. Skip the hassle of driving through the Northeast while exploring D.C., Philly, New York, and Boston. No middle seats and plenty of legroom are just an Amtrak away. And with stops right in the heart of your favorite cities, you'll arrive downtown, not out of town. Savings start with three travelers. Eight travelers required for 60% discount. Visit Amtrak.com slash sharefares to book. Restrictions may apply. How do you feel great on vacation? Like really good? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sand beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll immerse yourself in natural wonder and find your center on an island where things move at your speed. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Yeah, and I think extrinsic goals can help get you out the door. Mm-hmm. But I think the intrinsic goals are what keep getting you out the door day after day. Uh, like, it's the the consistency comes from those extrinsic goals can be more fleeting of because they don't have deep roots of those intrinsic ones. I think they can flail a little bit more and you can be like, well, no, I don't need to do this. I just won't qualify for Boston. Whereas those other ones are like, I just want to see how good I can be. Like that is a true intrinsic goal. That's going to get you out the door when it's dark, when it's cold, when it's rainy, when you're tired, those are, those are the motivations that are going to keep you going and keep you going for a very long time. And you're more likely to achieve your, those types of goals because they're deeply rooted in something that you're, like you said, you're in control of, you're controlling what you can, but also something that's that much more meaningful to you. Cause it's not based on just one thing. Yeah. And I love to use that. That's a great metaphor to use. I think another one that I always like is like the bonfire metaphor or like the, just like the, you know, whatever fire, whatever fire you want, right? Yeah. Be bonfire. <laughs> it can be a little smaller. Right? I but, grew up on a dirt road. I had bonfires all hey, the time. So that go. works. There we go. Um, right. Like I feel like extrinsic motivations are like lighter fluid, right? It can burn hot and it can really like set the thing ablaze, but it's not going to last as long as you'd want it to look right. I yeah. think that, you know, high quality kindling again, might not have that initial surge, that huge bump in the beginning, but ultimately will stand the test of time and will last a lot longer. Again, yep. mixing both together also isn't the worst thing in the world either. But I think that ultimately, if you can find ways to have intrinsic motivators be the primary thing mm-hmm. that drives you, I think you're going to set yourself up for the kind of long lasting success that ultimately will help you get those those goals that could have extrinsic motivators behind them, but ultimately that intrinsic, you know, to, to, to bring this metaphor to its breaking point, that intrinsic fuel will end up getting you to the places that you want to go. Yeah. And I think the other part is you're going to enjoy it so much more because it is so deep rooted. And because when you're doing that, you're not so hyper-focused on just one extrinsic goal or whatever it is you're going to enjoy the process. You're going to, you're going to be like, man, I missed that PQ, but man, I got that PR and I ran 200 miles that month. And you're going to enjoy it more because you're able to celebrate the wins along the way. Okay. Let's go to the next group. So these are the folks that 
that that meets the Boston Marathon qualifying standard to apply to get into the race, but ultimately were not accepted into the race. So this year, there was roughly 11,000 people who fell into that group. Again, the buffer was five minutes and 29 seconds. To put this in perspective again, this is the second biggest buffer of all time, but the largest group of of applicants who got denied. So roughly 11,000 people. That's a huge number, a huge number. And it's a testament to two things, just how popular the Boston Marathon is, right? Because not everyone who, who qualifies for the Boston Marathon applies to get into the Boston Marathon, right? It's not yep. like everyone who, everyone who qualified everywhere applied, but the fact that so many people did is a testament to how popular the race is. Secondly, is a testament to how, how well people are running. Congratulations, right? Like, yeah, so, so let's, amazing. Let's, go, let's go step by step here, okay? These people in this group, again, we're going to paint with a broad brush here, but probably had a really joyous marathon experience during the marathon window leading into this year's Boston, right? Maybe they'd qualified for Boston before. Maybe they hadn't. Maybe they didn't have a PR that day. But anyway, they ran incredibly well to meet the Boston Marathon qualifying time. So that experience obviously was a super high. They were probably very aware that they reached that qualifying time and whether their buffer was three seconds or five minutes. Like that joy in the moment, again, painting with a broad brush, broad brush was probably, you know, if not euphoric, somewhere close to it. And for those people, first of all, congratulations, because you are an incredible athlete, an incredible runner who's been working very hard and deserves all the accolades for the marathon you ran, whether you applied for Boston or not. Again, like whether said, you apply like for Boston difference. or not, I want to repeat that because yeah. it's so important because when you finish that race, that next race was not a part of that experience and shouldn't be factored into how well you felt about your race experience. Yep. And like you said, that's an hour that, you know, the time standards are over an hour faster than the average times like that's You met that time standard. That's how much faster you are than the average person out there. And think like, about not just the average the person, percentage. the average marathoner. The think average like, marathoner. Yeah. Any marathoner is putting in incredibly hard work. Running a marathon is hard. It is hard yeah. at any pace. So the you're you're an hour faster than the average marathoner and the average marathoner is kicking ass. Mhm. Yeah, something to celebrate for sure like and it's hard because that, even if you qualify by a small amount i know most people at this point are kind of like oh but i don't think it's enough so it takes away from some of the excitement i'm like no stop celebrate this win right right because think i it it makes me so sad to have someone like run so well on that day but because boston is on their radar they have to immediately put it in context to the boston marathon whereas like you're Mm -hmm. almost like Again, this is impossible, but like if you'd almost be better off, like almost assuming like, hey, I'm not even I'm not even applying to Boston this year. Mm -hmm. Right. Like if you finish that marathon again, no matter what your buffer was in terms of like trying to figure out like, all right, did I have enough time? Assume that you were going to be running the L.A. Marathon or Long Beach or Richmond or whatever. Right. Like how would have you viewed that experience? You don't have to juxtapose it onto something else that is not at all related to what you just did. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that that, again, it, it it makes me sad thing that someone would finish marathon and automatically be like, oh, but 
oh, but it wasn't, it wasn't this, it wasn't that. It's like, oh, but did you, did, did you try any less hard? Right. Did you, you know, right. all of those things that come with the highs and lows of the marathon experience and, and no one was the perfect race. But I think it's, you know, it's important to remember how you felt when you finished that race, how you felt about your own day, your effort, how you pushed through the hard things, the mindset you were able to utilize when things got tough and persevere through it. Because ultimately, that is what this is all about. Whether you qualify for Boston or not, or never even apply to the race itself, I think it's important to harness those moments because those are the lasting things that are important and the parts of the journey that ultimately that we should be able to reflect on with joy and with just like the, just positive vibes in general. Yeah, and this is backing up a tiny bit, but that goes even with the training cycle. I tend to tell athletes to sit down before their goal race. Um, so like I'm running a marathon this weekend. So today I took a half an hour, I sat down and I went through my training logs. I scrolled through Vida. I wrote down a few workouts that, um, gave me confidence that I want to keep in mind. Um, but I also wrote down the things I did well, the things I really liked and the things to work on for next time. And I think having people do that before a race can that because if they had a bad race they're like well this whole training cycle was awful and i was like no right. you you had you ran the best you've ever run just because it didn't happen on race day so like trying to think about the training cycle as a whole and then that race without the context of what's next like you're saying with without comparing it to boston getting people to kind of almost separate things a little bit which it's really hard i get it but that can be really helpful so you can still celebrate other things. That's a great point. I'm so glad you said that because it's absolutely true. And whether you had the best the best day, the medium day, or a horrific day, there are certainly horrific days to be had on a marathon course. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't change what happened before it, right? This is kind of like, it's similar to what I said before, but you, you crystallize it nicely. Like what happens on that race day doesn't change anything that happened pre that preceded it, nor... Yeah. Should you view what happened happened before in a different lens, knowing what you know after the marathon experience, right? Yep. Like that long run six weeks out that you felt awesome about, it isn't any less awesome now, right? right? It, it's just as awesome. You just had a tough race, right? So being mm -hmm. able to view these things, um, I think, is, is important. Now, let's get to the folks who got that qualifying time. We're so excited. I finally did it. I finally did it. And then today they found out that unfortunately, while yes, you qualified for Boston, you got the time, you got the goal, all those things. Unfortunately, you're not going to be able to run the race because of how many people applied. And it's just, they capped the number. That's the way it goes. And again, with these popular races, they're popular. A lot of people are going to try to get in and there's no perfect way for these races to handle it. There's just different ways that they handle it. And ultimately 11,000 people today are probably pretty bummed and maybe some more than others, right? The people who are, you know, my friend, Peter Bromka, he coaches an athlete. They, they thought they were safe because they had a five minute and 19 second buffer, but they're nine seconds off, right? There's other people who had maybe a three second buffer who were like, you know what? Past two years, everyone got in. It might be this year too. Who knows? Right. Again, we're not going to go through the litany of people and how close they were or not yeah. or not close they were. But ultimately, it, it, it's a heartbreaking experience. And I totally understand that. At the same time, it doesn't change what preceded it. In addition, I think it's also important 
to lay out your why. Again, whether you've thought about this or not, maybe it's reflecting on your why or thinking about it for the first time, but your why when it comes to Boston, right? Was it about, hey, getting that qualifying standard because that that's where I want to get to and, 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 and viewing that as the goal. Again, that number. If that was the goal, then what happened today, while a huge bummer, doesn't change the fact that you reached your goal, right? And like, it also plays into part of like, okay, maybe your goal was to like, again, was to run Boston, but it wasn't to like race Boston. It was to like, enjoy the experience of Boston. And there's nothing wrong with that either. And you won't be able to do that, but you'll be able to have, again, maybe again, you don't want to hear this today. And I understand, but maybe there's other races in the spring that are also really good races. This thing, popular races are very popular. That doesn't mean they're the best races inherently. Right. Like there are other marathons that are just as good of an experience as running Boston. They just maybe aren't as well known. And so maybe that wasn't on your radar, but you could end up having a wonderful spring experience at a marathon that while you wanted to run Boston, you didn't, you ran this other race, but you might look back that might look back at that three years later and be like, you know what? I'm so glad that I ran name a race, right? Let's say the Eugene Marathon, right? That's in April as well. Let's just say Eugene, right? I ran Eugene. I got to finish at Hayward Field. I got to see history in the making. I got to run, run Pre's Trail, do all this stuff, again, that you wouldn't be able to do if you ran Boston, so on and so forth. So I think understanding your why and how running Boston plays into it is really important. I don't want to go on a complete monologue here. I'll, I'll throw this over to you, Laura. But I think that, th- that and we'll talk about different other stages in this group, but I think, first of all, is understanding your why, and putting today in context with that why and not getting swept up in in the tide of, oh, my God, I was one of the 11,000 that didn't make it. This is the worst. Yeah, and I think one thing that it also depends on their mindset of where they're at with it. Um, one thing that's really important to remember or that I've definitely told athletes over the years is – even though it feels personal, it's not. Oh, yeah. Um, and because the majority of those people are feeling it feels so personal because they worked so freaking hard to qualify. And so not getting in feels personal. But it's the BAA saying we have a limited field size. We have to get, you know, permits from the town and we don't have to go through all of the reasons why the field size is what it is. Um, but they, it is not feasible to let everybody in. And, you know, 22,000 runners didn't go run faster than those other, other 11,000 just despite those 11,000. Like, it feels personal, but it's not. So sometimes getting kind of reminding people of that I feel like can be a little bit helpful because like your goals are personal but you getting denied from this was not so that's what you're saying of go back to your why and like okay wait a second deep breath why do I want to do this what's getting me out the door you know what what can I do kind of focus on those things and try and again, it's really hard, especially today. It's so raw. I was pretty much in tears um, making a call today to let somebody know. Um, and, and they were close, hard... right? They were super close. 
I had, yes. So I had to, one of them was under a minute. So we unfortunately knew that it was not likely. Um, but my sister, she had a four, like over a four minute buffer. Like we really thought like we'd be good. And, you know, it's really hard. And I took it just as personally, I mean, for any of my athletes, but also especially being my sister of, it feels so personal, but it's not. And it, being denied is not personal, I should say. Like, take that part out of it so then you can focus on, okay, let's take a second. It's raw, but now let's let's go to what you're saying of why do you want to do this? What do you want to get out of it? What What positive experiences came out of the process to get here? And then how can we take those going forward? Right. And I think oftentimes you'll have folks, and again, my DMs, my, over the years, I've had plenty of DMs come in and people <laughs> like, again, and I don't, I don't, I don't blame them for this. This is just part of, for some people, like the grieving process, right? Especially yep. if it's something they've been working on for a long time, is that they, they're looking, again, they're not saying this, but they're clearly looking for someone to blame for what happened. Right. What I was wronged. Who's to blame? Right. And they're looking externally for that. Not that they should look internally, but say a lot of times like looking at the DMs I've received over over the years, like this, the BAA, this, the BAA, that or this gender, this, this gender, that this age range, this, this age range, that again, we're not going to. We're not going to litigate the process here. We're just not going to yeah. want this to be an evergreen episode that people can use, you know, no matter what their race is or for Boston's in the future. But ultimately, people will have that that instinct to look for someone to blame. And that's, again, yes. understandable. And when you're going through a grieving type process, that's oftentimes part of it. And I can and we're not going to sit here and judge you for going through that. I just yeah. want to say. As quickly as you can go through that phase, try to get through it. Because there is no perfect way of running these races in terms from an organizational perspective. That's why so many of them approach it so differently. Also, if you had a race, yeah, you might choose a different method to choose runners. Again, and maybe that's valid, but it's not any more or less valid, maybe, than some of the ways that are being used. Again, the, pe the people at Boston, the BA, people at BA didn't get into this because they hated runners and they hated yeah. running. Right, like not personal. They, this is their dream job, and this is a brutal thing for them too. They don't. They're not like this Ivy League, you know, admissions counselor who's like again who just reject. Who's like they're looking for reasons to accept somebody, not reasons to like reject them. Right. This mm -hmm. is not that. They they would love to accept all these people. This is why they got into this business. But try to resist the urge to look for someone to blame or to say, well, the male under 35 time is harder to get than the women's under 35 time. And from a, from if, and, and maybe there are statistical analysis you can do that would, that would prove that. Okay. With that said, it's also an hour better than the average time. Just like the women's time is an hour better than their time. Okay. In addition to that, there's also legacy stuff here, right? Women haven't been able to run the marathon for a long time. There's plenty of masters women are runners still catching in that up. field. Yeah. The plenty of masters runners in that field who weren't able to run marathons when they were 25. So things like, so there's, there's also legacy stuff here. Again, we're not going to litigate that here. My point is there's no perfect way of doing this. And while you feel this pang of, 
I was wronged. It's not a personal thing, even if you are experiencing it on a personal level. Exactly. And like you said, it's part of the process to want to find somebody else to blame. Um, And at the end of the day, these things happen. It's not personal. That doesn't make it any less hard. Like you still, I tell everybody, feel what you need to feel. Pick rocks for a day or a few days, but then it's time to kind of, time to kind of get moving because otherwise you're letting it take more from you than it deserves to. Like, don't let it, don't let it ruin your week or your month or your year. Um, You have so many other things you can be doing with that time and energy than while women are, you know, hurting this sport and all those things and the lovely takes that I've seen on comment sections today. Um, fun fact, 3,000 more men were um, accepted than women. So I don't think it's totally a gender problem, but we don't go there. I just, I had to throw that in there. Um, no, it's, we want to find somebody to blame, but at the end of the day, 22,000 people ran faster than those other 11,000 people in their respective age groups and genders. So how can we get better and get faster? And what can you control and what can you do? Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. And ultimately, when you ran those races, you weren't thinking from a competition perspective. You were trying to get the most mm-hmm. out of yourself. And yep. on that day, you probably did. And you deserve all the flowers for that. Also, mm-hmm. it doesn't make you any worse than the people who were accepted into the race, nor does it make you any better than the people who weren't accepted or didn't hit the qualifying time. Yeah. Okay? It's just we're all we're all trying to do the best we can. And ultimately, I don't want to get too meta here, but sometimes we think we know what we want and we think we know what's going to be best for our future, but we don't. Okay. You don't know what's going to happen, right? Like you might run a race in the spring that goes fantastically well for you. You might meet someone at that race that like becomes a lifelong friend or a spouse or whatever. Like all of a sudden you run this race and you're like, this is a great area of the country. I want to move here. Like I can't tell you how many jobs I applied for that, I, at the time, I felt like I was wronged and I should have gotten that job, specifically head coaching college basketball jobs that I thought I deserved. I look I look who got the job. I couldn't believe that they got it over me. I was wronged. That should have been my job. Let me tell you, if I got any one of those jobs, I would have known I would not have met my wife because I would have left Rhode Island and I wouldn't have met her. No way. Wouldn't have happened. OK, my wife. Where you are any- now. My wife would have lived in, has lived in a 15 mile radius her whole life. She wasn't moving. I wasn't going to find her in Northwestern Massachusetts. So again, I don't want to get too meta here, but you don't know what your future holds. So don't assume that this is the worst thing ever. Cause you just don't know. You just don't. And you might be, you might run another Boston. This is also isn't the end of the line unless you want it to be. And here's the thing. Right. If you make this so demotivating that it pulls you away from the sport, then you will not qualify for Boston. I can guarantee you that. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you'll ever qualify for Boston person in this, this group, 
the qualified but not accepted, I don't know. You can run the rest of your life. I don't know if you'll ever qualify for Boston. But I do know this. If you stop running, you definitely won't qualify for Boston. <laughs> Very true. Okay. So let's go into the final group. Not a ton to say about this, but I do want to approach it because there are certain people who today, congratulations, you qualified, you applied, and you were accepted. And you're one of the 22,000 or so runners in that group who hopefully will be running in April. Again, congratulations to you. I think it's fantastic. Okay. Now, you are potentially in the same group as the group we just talked about. For them, the high was qualifying, the low was today, right? The mm-hmm. day that they found out what the buffer was. For this peak group, the high is today, right? I got in. The low could be race day, or it could be the day you get, you know, hamstring tendonitis on April, on February 11th, and all of a sudden you can't run, okay? The same thing, everything we just said about that that middle group goes for you, people. You're just potentially on a different timeline, okay? Mm-hmm. So appreciate everything that has happened so far, but don't be so utterly focused on this one thing that whatever that any negatives that come down the line completely derail you. It might snow in April on Marathon Day. I'll tell you one thing. It's not going to be perfect weather because that happens like once every 20 years. Okay. So you might have awful yeah. weather. You might lose your luggage. Your kid might be sick. You, I had someone who got COVID 36 hours before the race. They were already in Boston, right? Two years ago, Nico Montanez thought he might be a top oh. five American. He had to get dental surgery 30, I'm sorry, 18 hours before the race. He had to get emergency dental surgery. And this is his livelihood. When I heard that, when I was listening to that episode. Oh my God. It was painful. And so many things can happen. And they all will to somebody. Hopefully not you, dear listener, but to somebody. So set yourself up with that same, you set so same feelings. Be happy, be ecstatic, be excited, but don't let, any future negatives derail you from all the positives that have already happened. Okay. And I just, I just want to put that out there. Enjoy the experience. Take it for all, whether you're having a celebratory run and not running your best that day on purpose, or you're out there to try to qualify for Boston at Boston, which is an audacious goal and good luck to you. But no matter how you approach that day, you know, try to try to go into this entire experience with the same joy that you're feeling today. And don't be so hung up on I want to make that the best experience possible that any sort of negativity that could pop up can derail you from what could potentially be like a really good a really good weekend for you and if even if it isn't it doesn't change anything that's happened in the past. Yeah, and one of my favorite albeit cheesy quotes um but very timely and I think very applicable to something like this is don't let um, success go to your head and don't let failure go to your heart. And I think that applies for both of the groups of don't let this failure be the be all end all, but don't let this success do, you know, derail you from the fact that like, you still need to do some work, focus on the process and, you know, set those small goals along the way, you know, those highs and lows that you're feeling, they're, they're going to shift. It's going to, you're going to have those different things. Um, so 
give yourself some time to feel what you're feeling and then get back to work or get back to what you'd like to do, which is get out the door with friends and focus on the training cycle and setting some other goals and see how things go. Maybe you say, I just want to run Boston for experience, but maybe you get into March and you're like, man, I think I want to give this a shot and truly race it. Or maybe you have a great cycle and then all of a sudden you get sick or life happens and you say, you know what, I'm going to go out and celebrate the heck out of this because I am going to go run my first Boston marathon. No matter what race you're training for, those are both always possibilities of good or bad, like you said. All right, Laura, this was a lot of fun. I didn't think we were going to go a full hour. I feel really bad. Was... <laughs> no, you're fine. <laughs> um, do you have any last things that you want to say before we get out of here? I think just everything that we've been talking about is don't don't let this limit you, good or bad. Um, just kind of keep at it. Set some small goals, regardless of if you got in or if you didn't even qualify or if you missed. This doesn't need to be all the be the be all end all um focus on the process and get back to work and get the best out of yourself and the rest will kind of take care of itself that's exactly right the boston marathon is great it's fantastic but you are more than what the boston marathon is so whether you are not going to be running it or you are going to be running it remember you your life your running journey is more than the 2024 boston marathon for good bad or neutral that doesn't mean to be a demotivating statement it just is. And that's okay. Yep. And that's the best part about it. Because you're going to have plenty more ahead. And even if that's the last race you ever do, again, you'll have, it, it doesn't have to be this, you know, closing the book chapter on your entire running journey, your entire running season, or anything like that. It can just be an interesting thing that happened. And then you move forward. And ultimately, if you're able to approach your running in a way that you have this constant gratitude for being able to run and try to go after it in a way that, you know, is tethered to your goals and what you want to get out of the sport, then you're going to be just fine. And if even at that, you're like, Matt, that's too hokey for me. I can't get down with that. Well, then I will just leave you with this. Remember how you felt when you were injured the last time that was, whether that's right now, if you're listening to it or six months ago, or four years ago, okay? Remember how you said, I guarantee you, either to yourself and or out loud, you would do anything just to just to be running, okay? We've all been there. Just remember that feeling, because it's so easy to go back to that. So if you're running right now, that's a blessing. And just leave it at that. And if you can get more, wonderful. Get the most out of yourself. But it doesn't mean that it has to be to the detriment of your future running self. And that's what I want to leave you with. Because if today is one of those brutal days where you didn't get in the Boston Marathon, don't, do not let it cripple you from what you want to do. Because the last thing you want to do, if you have regret today, imagine seven years from now where all of a sudden you didn't reach your running goals or your potential because you didn't get into the Boston Marathon in 2023. All of a sudden it's 2030 and you're looking back seven years ago and being like, I can't believe I let that one day change the next era of my life. And that's the last thing you'd want. Yep, I fully agree. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. It's always a pleasure. Laura, always great to have you on. The last, last thing is go Bills, right? Go Bills. <laughs>